podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, good morning again. It's that time we dig into the Word of God. The Word of God, we always acknowledge that this is no ordinary book, right? It's not like opening some book that some man wrote, right? Men held the pen, but the Spirit spoke from within. This is what the Bible says of itself, that the Word of God is God-breathed, and so it's set apart from all other books, and it can change us. It molds us and shapes us, cuts into our soul and does its work. Let's pray. Father God, now as we consider the breath of God, the life that comes from heaven to heal us, to make us like you, to reverse the curse, to set our feet on the right path that leads to life that few find. You've rescued us, God, and we want to make the best of it. Now, in a very kind of a a grim passage, we learn through Herod how not to live. To be blessed, we do the opposite of being self-absorbed and proud and arrogant. He meets his terrible demise, Father God, and there's a lot to learn because there's a little Herod in every sinful heart. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) So it was during the Civil War, a general who was commanding the Union uh, troops is famous for dying in a very ironic way. Uh, It was the Battle of the Wilderness, as it was called there in Virginia. There was a general named John Sedgwick. And he arrived at one of the fortifications there. He was up on a platform of sorts. He was inspecting the troops and gazing over the landscape in the direction of the enemy. And his officers suggested that was a bit unwise to be standing upright in the line of fire. And to which he said, and this is famous, it has tagged him for a couple hundred years. He said, nonsense. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Boom. They hit the elephant, as it were, and the Confederate sharpshooter uh, took him out, fatally wounding him. And yeah, pride often leads to presumptive behavior that's always foolish and always dangerous. And we're going to be seeing a bit of that presumptive and that arrogance here in Herod's life at the close of chapter 12 here and now. Yeah, what does it mean to behave presumptively? Well, 
It's that arrogance. It's that audacity. I don't need to study for the test. I've got it all up here. And then the morning of the test, you're like, <laughs> you know, you get a D on it, right? Because um, you were foolish, right? Or operating a motor vehicle, you know, after a few beers and you presumptively say, you know what? I'm a better driver after a few beers. <laughs> you know what? No, you're not, <laughs> okay? Or, you know, I got written down here, like the guys who didn't put enough lifeboats on the ocean liner called Titanic. Why did they do that? They did that because the rumor was this is a ship that not even God could sink. You know, it's just not good to have no fear of God and to just throw common sense and conventional wisdom out the window because you think you're all that. You see? Because what often happens is, is that we should have ducked. We shouldn't have thought ourselves uh, in uh, a bigger way, in a grander way than is warranted, right? And so, yeah, puffed up human egos motivate foolish behavior, which invariably puts that person in harm's way. Uh, take King Herod, for example. <laughs> Verse 19, after Herod, I'll give you context if you missed last week, because we're kind of in the middle of something here. After Herod had a thorough search made for Peter, who miraculously escaped the prison cell, but he didn't find Peter. As the angel came and miraculously delivered him. Herod cross-examined the 16 guards who were assigned to watch over Peter and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod, he's a king of sorts, he's a ruler, he's more like a governor. He went from Judea, the region where Jerusalem is, to Caesarea, up along the Mediterranean coast, where the Roman administration, the powers that be, that's where they were. So he goes back to hometown and stays there for a while. Now he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is uh, southern Lebanon, modern day. And he had a bone to pick with them about something. And so they, the Lebanese, joined together and sought an audience with them, having secured the support of his trusted personal servant called Blastus, that's his name, uh, they brokered for peace. They were looking for resolve through the personal assistance, assistant, I should say, because they depended on the king's country, Israel, for their food supply. So it was a serious situation. Moving on. On the appointed day of the meeting with the Lebanese, and it was a big uh, holiday, actually, uh, he was wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne, and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is no ordinary man. This is the voice of a god. Immediately, because Herod didn't give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And interestingly, while well, there's this kind of a bizarre statement here, and he was eaten by worms and died. So now we know Dr. Luke who's writing, he's a physician. Colossians chapter 4 calls him a physician. So he's interested in these things. And so we know the guy had a parasitic infection. And why did God want to tell us that? There's a purpose in it. And we'll get to that. So, and here's really the point of the passage. Actually, it has nothing to do with Herod. Bad guys come and go. 
But the word of God continues to increase and spread. There's no stopping God. That's really the point of the whole Bible. Uh, Verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul, cutting back to the beginning of the chapter, had finished their mission, bringing benevolent offering to the guys there in Jerusalem, to the church, from the first Gentile church that they had established, they returned from Jerusalem back to that church where they came from with that offering called Syrian Antioch, which is now modern-day Turkey. Taking with them from Jerusalem, John, who grew up in the famous house that hosted the famous upper room, he also goes by Mark. In fact, in the New Testament, <clears throat> he's called John Mark, and he's also the author God uses for the, the Gospel of Mark. And so there you have it. It unfolds quite nicely, <clears throat> as I like to say. Uh, note takers, you got the first couple of verses, the folly of man. And then the second couple of verses, the judgment of God. And then it closes out with the PS, but God's work continues. I love that. Verses 24 and following. And so let's get started with a closer look at foolish Herod. Now, The chapter begins with Herod executing James, so you have some context. And um, it ends the chapter with the angel of the Lord executing Herod. So you you see there the struggle of uh, Acts chapter 12 is between good and evil, the bad guys and the good guys, and God and his enemy, uh, which Satan means adversary, right? And God always prevails. The truth that we take away from this morning's passage already, I'll just give it to you now in case you miss it. It may, seems like, the, it may seem like the bad guys are getting the upper hand, uh, but the truth of the matter is if you stay with Jesus, you win. If you oppose the Son of God, you lose. This is the message. Now, a biblical truth that runs uh, cover to cover before we dive into those first two verses, <clears throat> it's a, a, it echoes here. It's what Jesus said on several occasions. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's Luke chapter 14. It's a principle. You get yourself all puffed up. That's the way God has to um, deflate you, as it were. But those who already start the day off lowly and humble, he lifts them up. That's the promise there. And you could take that promise to the bank. And so it's good that we have communion at the end of this uh, service because the whole point is seeing the arrogance and the presumption and the godlessness and the fact that this guy does not fear God at all. And there is no more dangerous of a place for a human soul than zero fear of the Lord. And so really, as we start to talk about this, really, down goes Herod because he exalted himself, as you just saw. And he, he's humbled for all the world to see. He, he meets his untimely death. He didn't have to die like that. But, you know, if you're going to act like that, the Lord knows. And he dies a most unpleasant death. But Herod's contribution to the world is this, as I even prayed. We learned vicariously through him how not to live, how not to be self-absorbed 
making misery for those around us because James 3.16 says this, and I love it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. I try to recall it as often as I can. It says, where you find selfish ambition, a life that's all about me, 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 a self-centered person, there you will find disorder, chaos, and every evil practice. James 3.16. Every Christian should have that on their refrigerator uh, because it'll keep you out of harm's way because we're so prone to be all about ourselves and nothing uh, good about that. So Herod is saying, calling to us from the grave, and he may be in torment, sorry, uh, if he didn't repent. There's hope, and I'll get to that in the uh, end there for him. He cries out from the grave, observe my life and do otherwise. And we want some joy, some peace, some blessing. Look at what I did and do the opposite. All right, so here we go. Here are the first couple verses up there. Let's walk through. I like to paraphrase. So after the Apostle Peter uh, escapes Herod's clutches by the miraculous angel encounter there, uh, springs him out of the jail cell, the humiliated king blows a head gasket and had all the prison guards put to death. Uh, then he slithered off to Caesarea, trying perhaps to forget the whole embarrassing ordeal. He had promised the Jewish unbelievers who hadn't received Christ uh, he, to kill Peter, he, like he killed James. So he incarcerated him with the promise, I'm, I'm, I'm going to chop his head off too, uh, to which everybody was cheering. And then they came out to the public execution, there's no Peter. So he's got egg on his face and he's mad and everybody in the path of a bully, a self-absorbed bully who doesn't get his way, fasten your seatbelts. Whether you're the 16 guards or the two uh, cities, Tyre and Sidon, he's going to take it out on everybody. But God uh, has an appointed day for him. And so Herod, yeah, we, we found out that he's not really a king. He called himself a king and the Bible will call him a king once in a while. But generally not. Herod is not related to King David. He's not in the royal line. He's actually related, as I've mentioned, to Esau. Esau is a bad guy in the Old Testament. Uh, he was more concerned about his animal appetites than his spiritual side. So he threw away his relationship with God, as it were, for a bowl of red lentils. And so he was nicknamed Edom in Hebrew, red. So they used to call him red. He traveled south and Mr. Red, Edom, is the progenitor of the Edomites, which is a hostile nation to Israel back in the day. And so, so yeah, so true to ancestral DNA form, Herod is at odds with all things spiritual, all things gospel. He's just all about his animal passions, uh, a lust for power and greed and affluence and be able to lord it over everybody and get everybody to look at how glorious he is. And that's the sin of Herod. And so, yeah, so come now to verse 19. A thorough search is made because there was that jaw-dropping miracle, wasn't there? 16 guys. So what Herod did to ensure Peter wouldn't slip out of the prison, like last time, a few chapters ago, he, he chains him, as you remember, to one guard on one side, chains him, chains him to the other guard on the other side. He's chained to two guards. And there are two other guards in the cell at the door. 
And there are four squads of these four guys. So that's 16 guys who are taking shifts every three hours. So that prevents an inside job. It prevents somebody dozing off in the night. It prevents everything except God from coming in and saying, I, I, you know what, have 16,000 guys. If I want the guy out, he's coming out. And so I love what he says through Jeremiah. I'm the Lord. I made everything and everybody. Is anything too hard for me? Jeremiah 32, 27 ish, right around there. All right. So yeah, he makes the search. Uh, they, they've got the chains. They're like, look, they're the chains. There's no Peter. So he puts a sack, a black sack on all of their heads and marches them off to die. But no worries. As I mentioned last week, God prepared them all very well for that moment because God loves those men. God wills that nobody perishes. So he chained them to Peter. For one week he was in prison with them. 167 hours, as I told you. It's 167 hours straight of First Peter, Second Peter. That's who wrote First and Second Peter. And who was number one, always around the Son of God, who heard the Son of God the most of any human being alive ever. It's Peter. So he knows Peter's not going to be the one to die. God knows all of you guys are going to die. So listen up. I'll change you to the best evangelist in the world. And you know, as they marched off, they had 167 hours of gospel in their heads and in their hearts with the Holy Spirit saying, come on, guys, come on. We're going to see more of them than less of them for sure, I believe, because that's the way uh, God is. And so, yeah. And not only does he, lo- does he love the guys and love us, but he loves the bad guys too, which is hard on us. You know, uh, he loves Herod, and he's been giving him golden opportunities. And I see a couple here before we move on. I just want to point your uh, uh, attention to. He wants all sinners who are what Jesus calls a highway to hell. He allows in our journeys golden opportunities, the way he directs life, for us to stop, mull it over, and turn to him. He does that a lot, and, and he's doing it with Herod. And, and how do I know this? Well, because any human being made in God's image has a conscience. And nobody who has an innocent, good man like James put to death in such a brutal, violent way as to chop his head off. Nobody can escape having a conscience that just is upset and troubled and begins to point fingers. And more than pointing fingers, a conscience is God's, well, one writer called it God's sheepdog to nip at the heels of the souls of sinners, to bring them to himself so that they can find forgiveness. Your conscience is your best friend, unless it's broken and overworking, and it's like, you know, you need to be talking to a therapist when sometimes that happens. Uh, But generally speaking, the conscience is a gift. And you know, he looks in the mirror and the conscience saying, you, who are you? Ooh, you become like your, your grandfather who killed all those baby boys in Bethlehem because he feared a rival king in the Christmas story. That's his grandpa. 
And he's got a conscience that says, how could you? You, you, you tyrant, look at, how can you even look at yourself in the mirror, right? You know that's going on. And yeah, you, can you ignore your conscience? Yeah, he's an expert at that. All the Herods were. And, and when you do that, you can risk doing what the Bible calls searing your conscience as with a hot iron. In other words, you become accustomed to it. So, for example, uh, my car, it had a broken sensor. So even though I had the buckle on, it was still ringing. And it rang and it rang and it rang until I wanted to pull the hair out of my head, and that's what happened. (laughs) And so, (laughs) after a while, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it anymore. It didn't bother me at all until I got a a sledgehammer and fixed the problem. Uh, But yeah, so... This is the idea here. Herod wakes up in a cold sweat. You know he did. I killed James. He's famous. He's a godly man. Blood. And every time that, you know, he hears, he thinks, I killed the guy. I chopped his head off. So what does he do? He turns up the volume. He takes a swig of something by the nightstand. And he goes back to sleep. That's how you end up on a platform struck down with some parasitic infection to die a slow painful death because that's not a way to be blessed and so that's a golden opportunity that he missed another golden opportunity the miracle right in front of his eyes the holy spirit's like come on man come on man interrogate them and the holy spirit's like man you know look at the chains look at the evidence this is just like the gospel you've been hearing the changed lives you've been seeing the rumor that Peter's done this before because an angel came before. Now you've got 16 Roman soldiers sworn with their life hanging in the balance to tell the truth, and they're telling you the truth. Man, turn. Don't you want that kind of power working for you and not against you? That's what the Holy Spirit was doing, is making the most of every opportunity. Come on, you saw a flash, just like every one of us. We saw a flash. We saw a flash. We took a moment. The Holy Spirit's coming. Come on, do it. Come to me. You know? And, and sometimes we ignored it. But there was a flash, wasn't there, where you went, whoa, whoa. I'm connecting dots here. I'm coming in. I just got goosebumps because I remembered I had a lot of flashes that I kept writing off. Coincidence, coincidence, coincidence. And then there was just that flash in a disco in the 70s, as I told you about, where it's just, I can't, I can't deny this. I can't deny it. And I look up in the sky and I say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Boom, that was my sinner's prayer. No Christians involved, but I was born again. And he does that. He provides opportunities along the way. People don't go to church, but they get called to a memorial service and the preacher preaches the gospel. Or they don't go to church and they go to a wedding. And the Holy Spirit's like, ah, oh, you didn't su- a surprise. You heard, heard a little gospel there. Or you have a tragedy. Or you run out of money. You go bankrupt and everything's horrible. And the Lord's going, come on. Come on, I've got the provision. I'll take care of it. Or you've got fear and anxiety or a disease. He goes, come on, I'm the healer. If you believe in me, you'll never die. Even if you do die, you'll live forever. And so he does this. You know, He makes sure that the guy at Sinorama, who's been working there for a couple of years, runs into a preacher 
from the church because they share the same parking lot. And so he gives that guy opportunity to meet with a certain pastor in the parking lot who's been spending a year of quick little how you doing, little poke here, little poke there, little gospel here, little prayer here, until he shows up this morning at first service. He's sitting there, the Sinorama guy. I'm like, what? What is going on here? Well, well, because his life took a turn. He met a preacher who's sharing some good news with him. And after a year of hearing it, he just woke up and said, why not check it out? Why not? Because it's his moment, you see? God just puts that in life for everybody. Praise the Lord. And let me just give all the glory and, and honor to Jesus, considering this passage. Remember, when he doesn't do that, he goes over. You know. so, so yeah, he does that, so you'll turn. But if you don't turn, you got this scripture here, Proverbs 29, 1. Whoever remains stiff-necked, stiff-necked means, you know, he's pulling over here. Come on, horsey. You know, but the horse won't turn. Right? Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And this is his destiny. It doesn't have to be. But he's going to go headlong into doom now because he's hardening his heart instead of softening it. Sudden destruction. So he goes off to Caesarea here, verse 20. And, and the verb there is interesting. To stay there or to visit there, to live there. The verb is to rub away. Now what does that mean? Well, it means to get away, right? So in other words, it's, it's describing that you went somewhere to get away from something else, a getaway, right? What's he getting away from? What's he trying to rub away, scour from his memory? The humiliating defeat that he said, I got your Peter, and he's in prison, and in the morning, off with his head. Oh, where is he? Crowds want to know, where is he? Well, we sort of, the 16 guys in charge, you know, kind of, we misplaced them. <laughs> so he's off. He skulks away like a big baby, you know? And uh, now he's going to throw a, a tempered tantrum. Uh, there he goes. So he's got a heated dispute. The word quarrel there is hot. It's hot. It's not just quarreling over what's, where we're going to go for dinner tonight. You know, this is a big deal. So the Lebanese get a delegation together. They, they want to go and appease him. They know they can't go directly to King Baby, so they, he's got a, a personal a valet, they call them, or a chamberlain, as they're called. And they go and try to secure an appointment through his attendant, which they do. Why? They're desperate because their grain, their food supply comes through Israel and Herod has the say in all of that and he's making their life. So, so what was the big heated debate about? Well, really, it's not really about anything. It's about a big baby throwing a fit because he's taken out his frustration on the 16 guards and two of the cities, as I've been saying. And so, yeah, he, he's, he's angry, and the commentators say nobody knows what the problem was. There's nothing in history that says exactly the detail of it. Um, I have written down here maybe that they didn't send flowers to his wedding, you know, the Lebanese. Where are the Lebanese in all of this, you know? Or they didn't hit, you know, he's checking his social media posts, and there's no thumbs up from the Lebanese. What's wrong with them? 
They want to eat tonight? Do they know who they're messing with? No thumbs up, no like in my posts? You're going to pay for that, you know. And there are people like that. Oh, there are people like that. So, well, like I said, it doesn't really matter what it was because it was invented in his head. <clears throat> so that's what bullies do, by the way, as I've been saying. And so it is serious. Where are they going to get their grain up there at the coast? It's not the right soil. It would be like New York City uh, offending Iowa. <laughs> Where are you going to get your grain? Are you going to grow it in, you know... Uh, What's the park there? Central Park? Yeah, no, that's what's going on here. So they're smart. They know they can't go directly to uh, the tyrant, so they lobby. In other words, a, a lobbyist is somebody who, I guess, wines and dines the legislator so that the legislator will be legislating favorably for their beloved cause, right? And so I have written down here, they go to Blastus <clears throat> and they get uh, give him some season passes to the Lebanon Olympics and the lifetime membership to some golf courses and Mediterranean resorts, right? They grease his palm. Every commentator said there's a bribe involved. Oblastus says, hey, to get an audience with the king, this is what you need to do. And they do it, or they exceed it, and they're in. And they've got uh, something there. And unbeknownst to Herod, <clears throat> it's all leading to his demise. Uh, one writer said, John Phillips, I love him, he said, this senseless man is rushing recklessly toward the line God draws in the sand for everyone, beyond which we go at our own peril. To exhaust the patience of God, wow, that's crazy. I was told both services, I don't think pa uh, Christians can exhaust the patience of God because we're in Christ. Now, we can move the program forward, I think, by our disobedience, and he can chastise us unto death sometimes, the Bible says, just to spare our souls from that. But it's win-win for us of sorts. Loss of reward, for sure. But you end up with a smile in heaven on Jesus' face. So, But if you're, if you're not a believer, you can. There's, there's lines. Only God knows where they are. And uh, you really don't want to, even if you are a believer, you don't want to find out if what I'm saying is true or not about exhausting the patience of God, right? So here he goes, verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, there's more details about that, sat on his throne and delivered an oration, the Bible says. They shouted, this is no ordinary man, this is the voice of deity, immediately because he didn't deflect the praise to the only one worthy of praise, God. An angel strikes him down with a dreadful disease, and Josephus says, five days later, he died. Josephus is a historian from the first century that is lauded by everyone as accurate and the whole world uh, takes what he says. Um, and uh, he has much to say about this event, of course, because the gospel is verifiable truth. It doesn't surprise us. Uh, but he has lots of little details that I'll fill you in on the way through this one. So we've left the folly of uh, Herod for the judgment of God. <clears throat> Takeaway, 
If you oppose Jesus, you'll lose. Now, there are people who hear you say that and say, well, I don't oppose him. I'm just not for him. And Jesus knew you were going to say that and said, just so you know, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, the, if he who's not for me is truly against me, and those who don't gather with me, helping me on team Jesus, they're on the other team. They're, you, you can't play it both ways. You're either for God who created you, sent his son to die and bleed for you, and, and claims to be your maker and everybody else's maker, and that you need uh, to acknowledge that, or you're not. You can't be neutral about the God who created heavens, heavens, the heavens and the earth. So I love this. Verse 21, the appointed day has come. Oh, that's a play on words for anybody who knows the Bible. The appointed day, um, let's see. Man uh, plans his steps, right? Man makes the plans, but the Lord determines our steps. In other words, we're busy with making our appointments, but when God's will uh, supersedes our own, then his will for our lives prevails. So in other words, here's what I'm trying to say. The appointed day, little does he know. There's an appointment with the Lebanese delegation to meet with Herod, and there's a, an appointment for Herod to meet with God. The same day. But see, he doesn't have the wisdom to be preparing for what the Bible says, it is appointed unto men wants to die, and then the judgment, Hebrews 9 and verse 27. He's not prepared for that meeting. He prepares for the temporary. He, he prepares to wow everybody. And how does he do that? He gets a robe made especially for the occasion, Josephus tells us, made out of fine, pure silver threads. And he positions himself at just the right angle where the sun's coming in to reflect and refract all of that light in a splendid, glorious way. He's trying to impress. He, he wants those farmers, the delegation that comes, hey, listen, whatever we've done, let's bury the hatchet, man, because we need the bread. He wants them to grovel. You don't come to me like I'm some kind of farmer. No, I'm some kind of God. And you will petition me as you would a God. So he's setting himself up and they know exactly what he wants and they have an agenda too because they need the bread. So they're going to be wowed um, by his little show and his oration. The word therefore, the public address is like a sonnet. It's like these beautiful words from this God, this God, this guy who's acting like a God with the robe and the light. Much like celebrities do today, we call them stars. Why? Because they shine and they're luminaries and they walk out on the stage with clothes that reflect light just like this for the same effect. For you to think more of them than we ought to. That they're not just mere ordinary people from Podunk, Iowa. No, this is a star. You know, and the lights come on. They spend millions of dollars on the, the lights and the sound effects and the, the whole thing so that people will, oh, there they are and the paparazzi and everything. And you think I'm just getting down on them? I'm getting down on us. Because as they go out, we covet. 
We look at that and think, whoa, all the money in the world, everybody's after them, click, 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 click. And they walk out of a restaurant and there's a big, gorgeous SUV, a black one, you know, plated with everything. And they open the door and they get ushered into the back because they don't drive. They don't have to drive because they're like a god, you know. And off they go and everyone behind the sunglasses. And you know what? Sometimes in a weaker moment, you wonder about what that might be like. Have all that attention, all that glory. Do not give yourself a pass on what Herod is doing. Herod wants the attention to say, look at me, I'm different. Look at me. I'm a cut above. Look what I can do. And God has given us gifts and abilities that draw attention. But that attention has to be given to God. And if you always remember who you are and what you would be and where you would be without the grace of God, that will always humble you. The next trick or hack to keep you humble is to keep the cross in mind. And the blood that the Son of God, the sinless blood, (laughs) Son of God's blood shed on your behalf that saves you because you really can't boast when you start thinking of Jesus' death on our behalf. But the only one worthy of praise uh, is him. And so, yeah, he's got an appointment. He's not well prepared for it. Like Jesus said, prepare. Prepare for the moment. Live your life. Enjoy the life God has given you. It's a secular life. It doesn't have to be all about ministry, right? But there's this overarching theme of your secular life that is shining light for God, doing good deeds for him, pointing lost people to the right path, This is what we should be doing, preparing for the appointment. For that's forever, you see, and this is temporary. So Jesus says, store up your treasures there, people. Not so much here, 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 now. But when you stand before me, be rich toward God, not like the fool. Jesus called him a fool, meaning simpleton, not the pejorative term. He says this guy whose land was really blessed, he got rich off of farming, and then he didn't know what to do with all the excess grain, so he stored it in this barn, and he ran out of room in his barn, and he's like, I want a bigger barn. He built more barns and more barns and more barns, and then he said, I can kick back now, eat, drink, and be merry. I got not a care in the world. And then the Lord says, thou fool, this night you had an appointment. You weren't unprepared. And most people have the appointment. They're not prepared. Sometimes their last words are taking the Lord's name in vain. That's how they go out. Because they see it coming. They go, oh, you know. And then with an expletive in Jesus' name, that's how they go out. Because they're not prepared for the appointment. Be prepared. How do you do that? You start <laughs> You start every minute. You're mindful. I've got an appointment. And we are now, what, an hour and 15 minutes closer than when you first drove in the parking lot to your appointment. And so that's the blessing. So there he is. Getting, you know, he's given the oration. And there, you're a God. And we bow before you. He's taking it all in. His head is just swole, like he's just a heroin addict, you know just waiting to be uh, you know, lauded. And so he, he is standing there and uh, the angel 
it's the last straw, and how amazing that the Lord doesn't strike him down for killing James or wanting to kill Peter or persecuting the church. The Lord, it doesn't say, and then he wanted to kill Peter too, so the, so the Lord struck him down. The Lord's last straw for him is when God says, I can't take another minute of this, is when they're praising him and he's acting like he is a God and the Lord cuts him down. That's amazing. That tells you something about what God thinks about when we get all puffed up with look at me, look at me, look at me, and don't look at God because I'm something special. Yeah. Now, what, what up with the worms? Why, why, why do we got to know it was worms? Well, one writer was talking about, you know, the thing that consumes your soul. The worm of envy that eats you within, of unforgiveness. These are worms that just consume our lives, destroy us from within, much like a parasite does. I was counseling a woman oh, so long ago in the marriage. The marriage was being destroyed because she, was, she had the worm of jealousy. Oh my word, her husband could never go anywhere around any woman anywhere without her saying, do you think she's cute? Or do, you know, da 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 And just, just driving everybody crazy, consumed with insecurity and jealousy. And men, oh, men have their worms. Oh my word, just like a, a desire for ambition and making a name for myself and all of this that just consumes from within. And it's interesting that Jesus said, when you perish... It's a place where their worm never dies. No one ever knows what that means. I don't claim to know what it means, but could it mean that worm of that consuming longing will now never be fulfilled because there's no proper way to fulfill it once you've been severed from this life. You see, so that's something to think about. Now, Josephus, for me, I just love this. He says five days. So they strike him down. Uh, he, he grabs his belly. He falls over. For all the world to see, ruh row. somebody was listening and somebody not very happy with what he's doing. He knows that it's, it's a message. Of course he knows. He's like, yes, I am, I am, I am. Oh! He knows and the Holy Spirit told him, no, 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 dude. No, no, no. So everyone in the Colosseum knows, whoopsies, and he knows, and now he's got five days writhing in pain, Josephus says, with the Holy Spirit saying, come on, come to me. Come to me, think about it. Think about what you've done. You've murdered people. You've manipulated people. You're a mess. You're, you're, taking, you're usurping the glory of God. Come to me, find rest, man. Five days, who knows? He might have. Right? He had five days. God could have just, oh, as it were, opened the trap door with a guy like that and just suck him down. Right? But he gave him five days. That's beautiful. And if he would have repented, we probably would have read it because a lot of times in the Bible there's a story of a guy that's worse than him who repents and we hear about it right at the last second. The thief on the cross. He's an armed killer. He didn't get there because he stole some cupcakes. He's dying next to Jesus because in his stealing and his in insurrection work, he killed somebody. 
the last possible second after mocking, he has a change of heart and says, oh, you know what? Wow, the sun goes dark. Uh, the words you're saying, uh, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus says, bingo. <laughs> you and me in paradise today. That's a beautiful thing. And you know, he hung in there with that guy all of those five days saying, come on. And the thing about it, if you end, ever end up on the great white throne on the other side, that's a horrible place to be. God will have to say, not my will. This is not my will. I didn't want this to happen. But your will be done. And so, yeah. The best part, of course, is the next line. And I'll just, just P.S., but the word of God continues. I just love that. I underline that. Like I said, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. We used to sing that in the 80s. Remember that song? You know, he raises up one. He takes one down. All kinds of things happen. World wars happen. Everything. You know, there are mandates, restrictions. Clothes will arrest you if you sing, will arrest you if you congregate in the name of the Lord. We'll pull this Canadian pastor from the pulpit on a Sunday morning who says, I gotta preach the gospel. It's been two years. They drag him off to prison. But the word of God continues on. We have had the most spiritual increase in the last two years. We baptized more people than we have in other years. The church is growing. Why? Because mandates and restrictions and all kinds of oppression. But the word of God continues. There's no stopping him. There is just no stopping him. No counsel, no plan, no strategy can prevail against the Lord. He's going to win. And he's waiting for that last soul to become a Christian. It says in Romans, when that last person becomes a Christian, and that's a number God knows, he says, I'm going to remove you all out of harm's way. I'm coming into the world like a thief in the night. I'm breaking in, I'm taking the valuables, and I'm slipping out. No one's going to see a thing. And they won't, because it's in a blink of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15. And then he's going to let the earth dwellers have it. And the Antichrist is going to pull a Herod. And when he does it, it's going to bring human history to an end. He's going to stand up in the temple, on the temple mount, proclaim himself to be God. And if you don't worship him, you won't be able to buy and sell. There's an image made like in the statue, uh, an inanimate statue is made of the Antichrist. And he gives it power to speak. And when it speaks, and after he is shot in the head and raised from the dead by Satan, and then claims to be God himself in a mock resurrection imitating Jesus rising from the dead, then from that second he does that, there's 42 months left until planet Earth is not really spinning right in orbit because of all of the plagues that God will bring down. Why? It has a lot to do with him saying, I'm God. Worship me and the whole world worshiping him. And so that's our takeaway. But the word of God continues until he comes back, rescues us, and then takes his seat on his glorious throne, reversing the curse and making the world what he intended it to be in the first place. Let's pray together. Father God, we look to you now. We thank you for your wonderful love. 
your goodness, in the fact that you will prevail, God. And we will prevail with you because you've got your hand on us. You've knit us together with your spirit. And as the word declares, anyone who believes in you is one with the Lord. No wonder there's nothing that can separate us from your love. Because we're joined to you and what God has joined together, no man can tear apart. So we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.